Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ that you are here, that you love your people, you know your people, and Lord, you are ready to speak. Father, right now we would say, open our minds, open our hearts, remove the distractions so we can hear your voice. We are in Matthew chapter 9 and we'll be going into verse uh, chapter 10. So we'll be in Matthew 9 beginning at verse 35. I'll give you the key verse. It says, The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I'm glad to be here this morning. I want to say, Maraho Amakuru. This is a Rwandan church, isn't it? Maraho Amakuru. Amakuru Nimeza. It's great to be here. Um, your bishop, Ken Ross, is sick as a dog. He has been sick for 11 days, and it happened that my church had a guest speaker. So he said, I can't go anywhere without throwing up on people, so would you please go because they're going to be having a dedication and ordination. I, I want you to know my church in Roanoke loves you guys. They don't know you. They don't want anything from you. They just want to bless you guys. So we're glad to be here. Um, we're going to be talking about the harvest, the harvest. I live in Roanoke, Virginia. In fact, I've got friends. I'm going to embarrass you. Porter and Karen Wilson. See, I invited somebody to church. Anybody else invite somebody to church today? (laughs) See, I got this theory that if all of us invite somebody to church, this thing will double, triple, quadruple. It's not that hard, folks. Evangelism, church growth is not that hard. I actually invited six to church this morning. It's not even my state. It's not even my state. And I got two, so that, you know, I'm batting 333. It's not too bad. <laughs> I'm going to tell you the basic, the basic message, but I want to I start by um, using an illustration. I am, I am not only a bishop, but I am pastor or rector of Church of the Holy Spirit in Roanoke, Virginia. We have two high schools. I mean, it's crazy. They're like a mile apart. Uh, we have Cave Spring High School, and we have Hidden Valley High School. And one of the things our newspaper does, because we're still a pretty small city, not like St. Louis, um, every year they, they print the photographs of every single student uh, that's graduated. And so for those two high schools and about 10 others, you can see every kid, A through Z, you can see their face. And so I, I pull that out every year, and I look at the three or four high schools that are close to us, but particularly to Cave Spring High School, where your kids went, and and one of my kids went, and to Hidden Valley, where my other two children went. And I look at those faces. And I look at those faces, and I'm like, Lord, how many of those kids know you? How many of those kids know you? I mean, we've got big churches and fancy ministries, and we've brought Spirit FM, Christian Radio. We could not have more things to win people to Jesus. And so we go through each picture. And now I sit down with my youth pastor, and we... We look at each face, each face. And I sit down with our Young Life leaders. So you've got the church and you've got Young Life. And we're looking. And as I counted, I mean, we don't know everything, but as we look at those faces, you know, we're in the, what they call the buckle of the Bible Belt. Guess how many kids in the buckle of the Bible Belt seem to have any relationship with Jesus and are plugged into either Young Life or a Bible-teaching church? Take a guess. 
How many of you think? Being generous, no more than 12%. So basically what that means is a mile from our church, a mile from my church, big, beautiful sanctuary, seats of 1,000, you know, you got all this stuff, youth center, 88% of the kids have no discernible relationship with Jesus Christ. 88%. Is that, did I do the math right? You know, I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. That doesn't work for me. Not on my watch. Not on my watch. And so today when we open this passage, I'm like, this is exactly the passage that I need to hear. Because sometimes I get tired, I get weary. You know, there are days I come home from work and I just want to sit down and get in my easy chair and have my favorite coffee or adult beverage, Diet Coke. And I I really, at age 55, sometimes I just want to say, I'm just ready for a young man like Julius to do it. I'm tired, Julius. My knees hurt. My back hurts. I'd rather sit in front of the TV and do ESPN and let somebody else do it. But then when I come to this passage, I know, oh, no, the call is for me to go into the harvest field. So let's open our Bibles. We're in Matthew 9, verse 35. Or as they say in southwest Virginia, we're in Matthew chapter 9 and verses 35. All right, so here we go. Now, one of the things I tell our church always, when you dive into Scripture, you want to know what's what's just happened, right? If you go to a text without context, what's the problem? You may not know really what's going on. It's like if you walk into the middle of a conversation, right? A text without context is a pretext. So what is going on here? Y'all help me. This is interactive stuff, right? We're, we're Anglicans. This is the work of the people. So I want you to look in your Bible, chapter 9, basically what's happening. High altitude, what is Jesus doing? He's teaching and calling. That's, that's number one. What else is he doing? Healing. He raised a girl from the dead. He healed. Healed two blind men. Healed a man who was unable to speak. So we're seeing Jesus having incredible compassion. Not only is he he teaching and preaching, but he's really ministering to the needs of the people. He's ministering. And so we open this up in verse 35. It says this. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So can we take that bite right there? And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. The first thing I want you to know is is Jesus is God, and he's not just a God who came down to be Emmanuel. He was a God who didn't stay locked up in the church building, right? He did go to the synagogue, as was his custom. You know, a lot of people say, I'm I'm spiritual, I'm religious, I don't need to go to church. I'm I'm like, that's funny, because Jesus did. As was his custom, he went to worship. But here we see Jesus not only going to the synagogues, but he went out of the synagogue. If all you preach to is the people here, you're going to have a really small church. And you're not going to be seeing the, the, the people that are like sheep without a shepherd, that are harassed and broken. So it says Jesus went. And where did Jesus go? He went throughout what? Cities and the villages. Cities and the villages. In other words, he went pretty much everywhere. To the highways, the byways. To the fancy cities like St. Louis, 
and the wide spots in the road, like what's a, what's a wide spot in the road out here? Right, 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 right there. <laughs> Jesus went there. He cared for the people in the city, and he cared for the people in the country. And, and while he went, the interesting thing to see is what, is what is he doing? What is Jesus actually doing? Look in your Bible. What does it say? It says he, teach, he was teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus came to bring the good news. And we'll get to that in a second. But where's the first place he went? To the synagogue where all the religious faithful people were gathered. You know what that tells me? Uh, It's good to go to synagogue if you're a Jew, and it's great to go to church. Hebrews says we should not forsake the assembling, to come together one with another. This whole thing, I'm going to be a Christian, but I don't go to church, that's not a New Testament idea. But what's really interesting is he's going to proclaim gospel and good news to those who are already worshiping in a synagogue. I tell you this, a synagogue or a church is a very good place to hide from God. Christians, we must go to church. But I'm telling you, if you want to hide from God, the best place to go is to go sit in a church, do nothing, and have your mind closed. A lot of people hide from God in church. I know, I was in church for 20 years before I became a believer. 20 years. It's a lot of sermons. It says Jesus went in and he, 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 he was teaching in their synagogues. So he was teaching, but he also was proclaiming. What was he proclaiming, y'all? He was proclaiming the gospel. Okay, this is where I give you a quiz. I see so many callers in this church. Y'all are very smart. I mean, I think you might have more clergy per capita than any church I've ever been in. Is this the Covenant Seminary, or I don't know. If you're a head of theology, don't tell me till after the sermon, please. But what is the gospel? What is the gospel? I grew up my whole life saying the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel. I think a lot of people, honestly, even... Some pastors could not even say very plainly, what is the gospel? Because he's proclaiming the gospel. What is the gospel? Gospel is what? Good news? Can you say that in the microphone, please? Because this is, this, is, this, is, uh, this is going in cyber world. Say that right into my microphone right there. Okay. The gospel is is that God created us. We rebelled against God. That separated us from God. God uh, then sent his son to die for us on the cross uh, out of his grace and mercy and love. Right. It's good news. It's good news because our relationship with God is not dependent on us. If it's dependent on us, we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble. You know, when I was 20 and I was searching for something, I, I came to the realization that, like, I am, I'm not good. I sinned. Nobody had to yell at me and tell me I was a sinner. You know that? Nobody had to yell at me. I knew it. And I, and I began to understand that the wages of sin is death. But then as I began to read the New Testament, I began to understand that God really does care. He doesn't want me to, to have the wages of sin. He wants to free me, and He wants me to be a son, and He wants me to be with Him. He wants to live inside of me. He doesn't want me to walk in condemnation. He wants to cleanse my mind and my heart. And, and also, He's calling me to the high honor of His service. See, serving Christ is not supposed to be some onerous task. 
Serving Christ is the greatest joy in the world. No matter your political affiliation, we're not going to get into that. But if the President of the United States called you, Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter, said, hey, I need you. I need you to serve me. Would you go? I would go. I would go to honor the office. To honor the office. I would love. Man, nothing better than to have a, a, a Bible-believing Christian go serve. So anyway, here we go. Jesus goes, he's proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is coming. And Jesus didn't only speak, because we know that the kingdom of God is not all about words, right? 1 Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom of God is not all about speech or words. It's a bit about power. God cares. He not only cares that you get saved and get to go to heaven, he cares about you. And so what did Jesus couple with the proclamation of the good news? Healed. It says he healed every disease and every affliction. Jesus healed every disease and every affliction. All right, we've got to handle this verse really carefully. I believe the Bible. I believe it. I believe it's God-breathed. But we need to understand what this is saying and what it's not saying. Jesus healed certainly every type of disease and every type of affliction. There are Christians, namely the Word of Faith people, that say Jesus healed every single disease and affliction, therefore there are no more sick people, right? And this whole idea that no one will be sick if you just have enough faith, that is ridiculous. Think about the the pool where Jesus healed the man. How many did he heal that day? Did he heal everyone? No, but, but he could have. The point I'm trying to make is Jesus has the power and he has the love to heal any disease or any affliction. But this morning, if you have cancer or you have arthritis or you have whatever you have, ask Jesus for healing. But if it doesn't come, just know the kingdom is at hand, but it's not fully here. We're not in heaven yet. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? And so it says Jesus came. He was proclaiming the good news of the gospel of the kingdom, and he was healing every disease and every affliction. He cared for people. He cared for people. Let me just say parenthetically that my 23-year-old daughter this year um, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And we went down to Nashville, and the doctor, who's really smart and he's really good-looking, my wife tells me, uh, he he said there's only 1%, less than 1% chance of cancer, of this cyst tumor being cancer. So we went down to Nashville. We had a nice lunch. We were enjoying the fancy big city. You know, we're country people. We go to the big city, and we get a call back. And the nurse says, you need to come back to the hospital. Dr. Num-Num needs to talk to you. And I was dumb and enjoying my lunch. And I'm like, Could it, well, honey, we'll go in a little while. And my wife's like, no, 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 we need to go now. And my wife asked the nurse, is there, is there a problem? And she said, oh, no, no problem. We go back to the hospital, and there's my daughter who loves Jesus. She's walked in purity. She's a worship leader. She's a servant of God. And there she is. She's still on the table. And the doctor comes to us. We're in the waiting room. And I'm sitting in a waiting room with about this many people. And I I said, what's on your mind, Doc? He comes out from the operating room. What's on your mind? He said, not here. He had tears in his eyes, y'all. Tears. The doctor sees cancer all the time. There's something about the vulnerability of a a 23-year-old girl who's pure and who loves God. Ripped open. And he went in there, and that less than 1% chance, it was, it was cancer, y'all. It was cancer. 
big cancerous tumor. And the doctor says, I'm going to do biopsies. I'm going to take out her omentum. I'm going to take out her appendix. But you won't know for at least a week, at least a week, whether the cancer spread. But if it spread, it's very serious. It's very serious. By God's grace, we suffered through a whole week waiting for those biopsies to return. And when they came back, they said, they're all clean. They're all clean. So God, in this case, healed my daughter. We had people praying, people in Rwanda. We had orphans in Rwanda praying an hour and a half a day. And then there was another week we had to wait while they did this BRCA test to say, is she also going to have breast cancer? And they were talking about having to remove you know, a uterus and ovaries and her breast at 23. She's never been married. We waited another week, and it was torturous. And by God's mercy, you know, we, we had to wrestle with, Lord, will I love you if you don't heal my daughter? Will I be like Habakkuk and say, Lord, I will yet praise you? And, and by God's grace, the answer was, yes, we will, because of his grace. And so Jesus, it says, he, he healed every disease and every affliction, and he, he saw the crowds of people. And what did, what did it say? He had what on them? Just like in the waiting room in Nashville when he saw this bishop and his wife in, in turmoil. We had faith, but we were scared to death. And, and Jesus looked in the crowds and he, he says he had compassion on them. You know, going to an Episcopal seminary, you learn about this much Greek, right? So let me step out in, in Greek land. The, the word compassion is splagnizomai. Splagnizomai. That means from your bowels. From your bowels. And basically, when Jesus saw all these people that were broken and beat up and without God and lost and miserable and their lives were coming unraveled, it said, from the depths of his bowels, he had compassion. He didn't send a nice little religious card. It says he was deeply moved from his bowels. He had compassion for them. Why did Jesus have compassion on them? Why, y'all? You're right, but look at your Bible. It's a very specific answer I'm looking for. They were harassed and helpless. They were harassed and helpless. I think it was the word harassed. I looked that up in Greek as well. That means to be filleted or to cut. You ever, you ever filleted a fish? You know, that's, that's what it's like to try to live without Christ in your life. You're cut down, mangled, torn, like that fish who's had a fillet knife come through him. When Jesus saw the crowd, he said, These are, that's what the Greek says. It says it's like people who have been cut and mangled and, and filleted. And he says as he saw the people that were harassed and helpless, he said they looked like sheep without a shepherd. Isn't that sad? You know, when I look out here in Chesterfield, Missouri, I see so many nice buildings. I see so many handsome people. But you know what I know? I know that they're no different than the people in Roanoke. No matter how smart you are, how many seminary degrees, how much prosperity you have, I know that, that the enemy is here and he comes to steal and kill and destroy and he's very good at it. And I know, I don't know any of your stories really, but I know that Satan comes and he tries to destroy lives. He tries to fillet you. He tries to harass you. And when Jesus sees the people that he loves so much being harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, just running here and there, it breaks his heart to the depths of his bow. 
then in verse 37, so Jesus is there. He sees it. He has compassion. And then, then he says to his disciples, this is the key verse. If you've checked out, now's the time to come back in. Whoop. All right? It says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. You know, it's easy here if you're a church person, like I did for so many years, sit there and go, they're talking about crops. I don't have crops. This doesn't interest me. I'm bored. Okay? But what Jesus is saying, he's using this as a, um, like a metaphor, right? The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. What he's saying is, you know, right here in Chesterfield or St. Louis or wherever we are right now, he goes, whether you can see it or not, there are an awful lot of people here that are lost and are broken. There are young girls that are cutting themselves. There are young girls that are bulimic and anorexic. There are people that are thinking about suicide. On and on and on. He says that is what's true. It was true in Jesus' day. It's true today. And so he says, he says, disciples, I'm going to send you out. He goes, the problem isn't, um, the problem isn't that they're lost people. You want, to, you want to grow a church? Let me tell you, there are plenty of customers. There are plenty of customers. There are. You should have no problem having people come to worship God. He says the harvest is plentiful, right? The harvest is plentiful. But what's the problem? It's not that there are not enough clients, enough people that are broken, enough people that are harassed, enough people that are like sheep without a shepherd. What's the problem, y'all? The laborers are few. They're kind of like me at age 55. I'm like, Lord, I've been doing this for 30 years. I'm tired. I'm going to let some young man do it. I'm going to let y'all do it. Y'all are young. you got energy. I'd rather sit back on my couch. The Lord's been convicting me. You know what? This whole idea of spiritual retirement, it's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. And and it's not in the Bible. And and there's a high calling. There's a high calling to being used by God. It's a high calling. Who are you that Almighty God would pick you to do His work? You want to talk about an honor? I don't need to be an ambassador for the United States. I'm an ambassador for Christ. You are an ambassador for Christ. What a high honor. And Jesus, Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. He says, therefore, I want you to do what? See, now I'm thinking Jesus is going to say, well, get about the business. Get about the business. Go on out there, y'all, and tell them all about Jesus. What does he say the first thing to do is? Pray. Pray. You know, I'm... I've been accused of being ADD, and I like to talk a lot. Blah, 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 blah. I have a hard time sitting still and praying. But Jesus says the first thing we need to do if we're going to address the needs of all those people that are lost, that are like sheep without a shepherd, the first thing we need to do is pray. Why is it the first thing we need to do is pray? Why is it? Because it's a spiritual problem. If you're going to address a spiritual problem, you have to do it in the spirit. You can order all the fancy programs and go to seminars and learn all these things. But Jesus says, if you want to do my work and you want to see the kingdom grow and you want to see these folks that are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd rescued, the first thing to do is pray. So the call is to be a praying church, to be a praying church. And then he says, what are we to pray for? We're almost done. The labor, what are we to pray? It says, therefore pray earnestly, right? Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, that's Jesus, to do what? To send out laborers, okay? 
Okay, God, send out laborers to St. Louis and to Chesterfield. Send out laborers. Right. And so in, in, in chapter 10, he says he calls the 12 to him. He calls his disciples to him. And, and Jesus says, you know, basically all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He goes, now I'm going to give you my authority. You're not going out in your own strength. You're not going out in your own wisdom. You, even the smartest one of us, we're not smart enough to argue somebody in the kingdom of God. We can't get around their elaborate defense system. But the Spirit of God, with the authority of Jesus. So he gives them authority to, over every unclean spirit, to, to cast them out, to heal every disease and affliction. And then he gives the names of the apostles. But I want to skip down. Go to uh, verse 5. So, so Jesus gives the 12, he gives them his authority, and then he instructs them. And he says, Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you proclaim, say, The kingdom of God is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers. In other words, tend to their physical and spiritual needs. Don't just send them tracts. Tend to their needs. You know, one of the things, our church has done a thousand things wrong. A thousand things wrong. But where we've seen God grow the church is where we just don't go, isn't a shame for all those lost people. Isn't a shame that 88% of the kids in our high schools don't know Christ. Sooner or later, you've got to come to a decision, am I going to do something about it or just keep flapping my lips? And so our church, imperfect, broken people we are, we said, you know what, it's not okay on our watch. And we are, by God's grace and in his power, we're going to do something about it. And so, yes, we have a youth group. And yes, we have Young Life. And this year we added a third prong where we said, you know what? Even with Young Life and, and the church, we're only getting 12%. So now we're hiring youth missionaries whose only job is to go into those high schools. They know every face, every name. And to go love those kids, to be with them where they are. And as God opens the doors, then for them to share Christ and bring them into the church. And so it's t there's a time to take action. All right. I think that's about good for now. Let me, let me close. I'm going to challenge this church. I'm going to challenge you. There are a lot of people around you that as you look at them, they may look great. They may be a doctor. They may be a lawyer. They may be an Indian chief. They might even be a pastor. They look good. They look happy. You don't know what's going on. But what we do know is when Jesus looked on the crowds, he could see, and he saw that so many of the crowds were lost. They were like sheep without a shepherd, harassed and helpless. If that was true in his day, it's definitely true in our day. And the question is, are you willing as a church to pray about it? Because it's a spiritual problem. And then as the Lord gives you grace to put legs on it and do something about it. Let me tell you guys, it is fun. It's the most fun thing we get to do. It is a high calling. You, you want to you have fun in church? It's not just about, you know, the chorus you sing or the chorus you don't sing. You want to have fun in this church? Let God start to move where you start to reach out tangibly to bring in people. You're praying and you're acting. And when you see God move, you will have the joy of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen.